Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we actually grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief, death, pain and agony, but with comedians. So it's not that depressing, I promise. It's bleak, but you'll laugh as well, which for me is a perfect night in. Each week on Griefcast, I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief, as we remember someone special that they had lost along the way. It's not easy to talk about death, but it does help if you've chosen a career designed to hide your true feelings about anything emotional. Whether it was long ago or you've just lost someone, We've cast this chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week, I'm talking to comedian and writer David Baddiel. David was one of the original members of the Merry White House Experience, sold out Wembley Arena with his double-act partner Rob Newman, created the TV show Fantasy Football League with Frank Skinner, had a number one hit single, has written books, films and sitcoms, and is currently in the West End with his show My Family, Not the Sitcom. David came in to talk to me about his mum, who died very suddenly in 2014. We do get a little sweary just to warn anyone who is sensitive to the C word. Ironically, not cancer in this podcast. Hello and welcome to Griefcast. I'm joined today by David Baddiel. Hello, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. Thank you so much for coming in. So I saw the show on Friday and it obviously is about, it's a very personal show, but Griefcast is we tend to focus on one person. So who are we remembering today? Who are we talking about? What, who we're remembering primarily is my mother. Uh, uh, and the show begins, or well, it begins with a little prologue about social media, but really uh, the meat of the show begins by talking about an experience I had at my mother's funeral. Yeah. And at my mother's funeral, uh, I noticed uh, that all these people were coming up to me and telling me that my mother was wonderful, and the keynote of them all was that they didn't really know her. I thought, yeah. I don't even know you. I would know you <laughs> if you really knew my mum. Yeah. And what I felt was happening there was a kind of propaganda that goes right. with death, an idealisation that goes with death, yeah. which means that we all we can say about people after they die is that they're wonderful. But, you know, our relatives, everyone yeah. starts saying how wonderful they were. And I thought, well, the trouble with that is it just erases a person out of existence. Because yeah. if you say everyone's wonderful, then no one is anything. So I thought, and that was really the inspiration for the show, well, my mum wasn't, well, she was wonderful, but she wasn't wonderful in that idealised way. She was wonderful because she was nuts and mad and over-sexualised and did a lot of crazy shit. And that's what makes her an individual, an extraordinary person. A lot of it being, you know, if I could put inverted commas, which is a big deal in my show, but flawed. Yeah. A lot of it was damaging. A lot of it was probably bad in all sorts of ways. Certainly bad parenting. Yeah. But it is what makes her an individual and a human being. And, and the show, part of the process, I think, is saying, let's not let this person sink into the bland, nice ether let's remember them as a 360 degree person including all the bad stuff all the mad stuff all the crazy shit and then what happens is they feel alive and that does actually work because i know that because people come up to me and say oh my god your mum, she's incredible i wish i'd met her i really feel i know her yeah and that's really what i'm trying to do i'm trying to because the show at some level is about memory because the other part of it is about my dad's dementia which is a kind of flip side to it about in a show about memory which is to say okay how do we remember people? And my contention is you remember them, try and remember them as whole people. Mm. So that is don't propaganda them, don't idealise them. And then the other flip side of it is how does someone without a memory remember or be himself or herself? How long ago did your mum die? She died just before Christmas 2014. Oh, OK. So it's, so the show came very quickly after Yeah, that. it did, actually. I mean, just the, the workshops for the show. And that was kind of complicated because I was still working through it, which I think I still am. I yeah, think the show yeah. is you know on a therapeutic level is me working through my mum's very sudden death because you know someone who, as big a character as that yeah. out their sudden absence is very complicated do you mind saying how she died y- yeah i don't i don't mind at all i mean actually that was very grim and there's a very interesting thing we could talk about with that and it's a, it's a bit I don't put in the show. I'm, yeah, I'm, I wondered that watching it. I was I had obviously as someone who is into death. Yeah, into I death was in curious yeah. that you chose not to say. Yeah, well, so I was once in the Q and A, which I don't do anymore. But someone once asked, "How did your mum die?" And I said, "Well, I don't put that in the show, not because I can't talk about it, but because I just genuinely think there is no comedy in it." Okay. But there's a very interesting thing in it, which is that my mum died incredibly suddenly she was she my mum had had been sort of had had quite a lot of ailments particularly in the latter half of her life 
But no, she didn't have cancer or any mm. big ones. And also, it kind of got relegated, I think, behind my dad's dementia. Right, okay. As, as she wasn't the ill one. So I yeah. think that was my dad, which I think might piss off my mum quite a lot because my yeah. mum quite liked to be the ill one. She had a touch of whatever it's called, Munchausen syndrome. Oh, Munchausen, okay. Yeah, she quite liked to tell people about her illnesses. Right, yeah. Uh, and so that pissed her off, I think. But then, basically, she had a chest infection. It was quite bad, but she was telling people it was going to be fine. My brother, in fact, was going to meet them. <laughs> We're not a very religious family, but my mum got quite into going to synagogue towards the end of her life. So my brother, Ivor, my old brother, was going to meet them at the synagogue where she was having actually something in commemoration of her parents, which mm. she occasionally did, did at the synagogue, and then she wasn't there. And then he went to their house, had to break down the door, and it was incredibly horrible for my oh, brother because my God. dad was just being demented, for want of a better word, and sort of shouting and not understanding the situation, and she was unconscious. And paramedics had to be called, oh. and then we were we went to hospital. I had to go to hospital with my kids because I was on, on my way on holiday to Cornwall. I had to reroute to Northwick Park Hospital with my children, uh, and they were put in a room, as were my brother's children, whilst my mum was revived, which I now think was an error, um, and we just had to sort of watch her die over a period of about six hours, which was unbelievably horrible. And it, it raised an interesting question, Ellen, since this show, this podcast is about death, yeah. uh, I'm going to start with a really complicated question, yes. and not really a comedy one, but hey, I was really interested in something, uh, which is I still feel quite bad about something with that, which is I didn't stay in the room the whole time while my mum was dying, uh, because I found it incredibly difficult to yeah. do so. And... I look. I still feel guilt about that. I mean, I, I, you know, she died. She was revived. She she went lost consciousness. All that kind of stuff. And also, I had things that I had to go and check on my kids. I had to go and check on my dad. You know, suddenly there's all that stuff. But I know a part of me was watching her die mm. and thinking, okay, what's the value of me being here? Because I cannot help her. She is sort of not properly in this world. It's like watching someone drown and not being able to help them. Mm. That's appalling, terrible. And here's the phrase that I that I think of, I can feel the damage happening to me. Mm, I yeah, can feel yeah. how this is intensely yes. damaging. It's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Mm. It's not a good thing. And, you know, is it good? What am I doing by staying here and watching this? It's funny, it comes up a lot. Mm. It comes up a lot of like, were you there? How were you there? How long? Yeah, like it's a common thing. And I think what you're talking about is is really interesting because what you hit is this survival spark kicks in, doesn't it? Of like there's something in your body that is alive that's mm. going, don't be around this, it's yes. bad. And I know because you feel like, oh, that's so, you know, so my dad was, so I say this every week, I feel bad for people listening. He was diagnosed in February, dead by April. Right. Cancer. Cancer. But was ve towards the, was sort of, you know, with it for a bit. And then obviously the last couple of weeks, was really not there and we would go to the hospice and and I remember that feeling again being a teenager but I remember being like I don't want to be in this room mm. I don't want to be in this building mm. I don't want to touch anything mm. and there's the guilt you feel is is horrendous but mm. I think you again I think well I think one of the time, one of the issues yeah. with I mean it's interesting your dad died in a hospice but fairly suddenly because I think part of the problem is we have been inculcated with the propaganda kind of Hollywood propaganda, which is that you should be there for yeah, your parents' yeah. death, but that is associated with quite a good death. Yes. So it's associated with a white room with white curtains. An old person uh, who's slipping you know, away. Uh, slipping yeah. away, but they say something beautiful and yeah. wise before they go. It's not Northwick Park Hospital <laughs> with you know people who are underfunded and underpaid and tired yeah. running around shouting, get this, get that, blah, 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 get out the way to you, yeah. the son, because you know they're trying to do this, that, for other, and you can just watch your mum, you know, as I say, sort of drowning in the air and not really in touch with you and it's just hideous there's yeah. no poetry there's no Hollywood and I don't know what 
the value is of seeing that. This comes up again a lot of like the moment. Mm. And I think if you haven't experienced death and grief, you still think, like I agree with you, you think there's a moment. And mm. I think anyone who has will tell you there isn't. And all there is, and it is never, it's not, not at the what, deathbed. Right. It right. might be three weeks before you think, oh, actually, they said that to me. Mm. That was a nice, or we had that conversation six months before they died. And mm. they held my hand. They looked, those moments that, at the time you go, oh, that was nice. It doesn't matter. But obviously, they become raised and go, that's the last moment I actually connected with them. Mm. But it's never the last moment. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I agree. My dad, towards the end, was, yeah, you know, he wasn't really there. And I, I've said this before, I think he was aware of my mum. I felt like he kind of knew my mum was there and I felt like that was very important for them. And I felt like, in a way, me and my brother were there for my mum, in mm. a way. We were all yeah, in the room. Yeah, but that's the thing, is, is you feel you should be there for them. Yeah. Obviously, that's what you feel. And then you feel guilty if you weren't there the whole time yeah. for them. But then you don't know how much someone who's in that state of... I don't think they are. ...half-life, quarter-life, or whatever, yeah. is able to register that you're there. Although I did have a moment, see, that's part of what... What's, <laughs> this is quite complicated, where my mum was... She used to take a lot of painkillers because she did, in fact, have a brain tumour when she was much younger, a, ah. a, a benign brain tumour. Right. Uh, and it was taken out like in her 40s. Okay. Uh, but she had pain in her head always. Yeah. And being my mum, she took far too many right. sulpidines and stuff like that. Oh, and I could tell, even though she could hardly speak, that she was in pain because she was pointing to her head yeah, yeah. from that because she hadn't taken those painkillers. Mm. Uh, and I remember saying that to the one of the doctors and see, seeing her nod. So she was there, yeah. and that's part of what, what plays on my mind, the fact that she was conscious enough to hear that. Yeah. And yet, you know, does that mean it was terrible that I did leave because was she conscious of me leaving, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I went back yeah. in, but I just wasn't there the whole time. But again, I'd know. say, like, how can, how can you be Well, I still beat myself up about it. This is really interesting, it's complication. Okay. So I had this weird experience soon after. It wasn't that soon after my mum died. I think I just started doing the show, though, and I was talking to this comedian at a party, and... I, I was actually talking quite vulnerably uh, about my mum's death, and I knew that this comedian had issues uh, where his parents had died, his mum, I think, had died, and, you know, that had been a big thing for him. And I thought, like, here we are bonding hands uh, uh, on this sort of very emotional thing. But then he started doing a bit, a sort of quite funny bit at some level, about how, oh, right, so you thought your mum's death would be like a cakewalk. You thought your mum's death, all that death rattle, all that sort of fluids rising from her lungs, you thought that was going to be just easy. Uh, and then, no, yeah, you had to leave the room because you couldn't handle it. Well, what do you think? What do you know? And it was kind of like that. That was kind of the bit. I'm slightly not doing it justice. <laughs> that was the basic idea, was he was taking the piss out of the idea that, of course, your mum's death was going to be horrible. Why are you here saying how awful it was? And I was saying to this comedian, you know what, you're going to have to stop doing this. A very unusual thing for me, you're going to have to stop doing this yeah. bit because I uh, am finding it quite difficult because I genuinely do feel very, very conflicted and guilty and ba bad about it. And he just kept going. And I sort of respect him for that. I sort of respect him for his commitment to comedy in that situation. <laughs> Having said that, of course, it's my mum, not his mum, yeah. uh, that he's uh, and my mum's death that he's that he's making comedy out of there. The other thing I think is interesting is you said like you know that this comedian, you know that like his there is he's experienced death. Yes, and I have found this as well. Like I normally expect, like you said, if someone's ex got it, if someone's been through it, we talk about it a lot in the podcast. Like they're in the club, they get it. You can say to them, you know how I feel, and they're like. Oh, I got your back. And every now and again, you meet someone who has reacted very differently. Yeah. And I think that's quite shocking as well when you're like, oh, I thought you would understand that this is yes. not okay for comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, I've gone the other way and I've decided to. Yeah. Well, this particular comedian, I think, has probably wrapped up his deepest emotions in a very hard sheen yeah. uh, around which is comedy. Um, <laughs> and I've sort of gone the other way with yeah. that in that I do absolutely think, and to go back to the show, 
that the show is a way of processing and you know making narrative and com- comic narrative out of my mum's death. Really, it's out of her life. Yeah, I guess that might be the thing. Really, is yeah, that the show is, is that, very the much show about is, her. The show is really about her life mm. and about my dad's present life. Although it's about how both of them. It's what I, the manifesto of the show really is. There are things that reduce us. Uh, you know, in the minds of our loved loved ones, primarily death, but also dementia. With dementia, mm. you get put into a box where, okay, you're no longer really a person. Yeah. You're just in this narrative of you're probably like all those other people who stare at the wall with a tartan blanket. And that's not true. Dementia, it turns out, my dad hasn't got dementia in any kind of, you know, yeah. uh, conventional way. He's got this kind of mental manic version of it. And he's sort of dementing in his own way, is what I'm discovering. And so the manifest of the show is really always try and receive and understand the 360 degree person yeah and i think to do that what i'm taught really more about at some level is their life rather than their death even though the the fact of death yeah. adds a kind of poignancy and, and and kind of narrative thing to the whole show i think that's why it is a very poignant show in that we said already you, you don't say how she died you don't focus on the death no which a lot of, I suppose, you know, dead parent comedy shows, yeah. you know, it, there is that sort of what happened. It, it's very much about her as a, a living, breathing character and you're playing the videos and photos. How do you feel? That's what I thought watching it. How mm. do you feel seeing that every night? Is yeah. it hard? Because I would find that really fucking hard to hear his voice and see him. You know, my dad. dad. Yeah, if I was in a show like that. Mm. It's a really complicated thing that to answer that because actually I I didn't, there's something I didn't notice about it until my brother said something about it. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other story about my brothers yeah. who, who I, you know, uh, had to get the permission of to do the show. But in the end, I said, because I couldn't explain it, I said, look, just come and see the show and trust me. And they both very, very worried about it. And then they both loved it in oh, the end. Amazing. Uh, but my older brother, who's now seen the show a few times and who I'm very close to and who is in comedy, he's a writer. Yeah. Uh, he saw it at the Chocolate Factory, and then he saw it again like three or four months later when it was at the Vaudeville. And what he said was this really interesting thing. He said, oh, you know what, seeing it tonight, because when, when he first saw it, he said a very, very touching thing, because, because I was worried about what he might think. Yeah. So I said, oh, did you like it? And, and in the room during the show, he said, oh, I loved it. But then afterwards, he said, the reason I loved it, one reason was it felt like she was in the room. Oh. And that's very true, I think, yeah. in that the show is start partly about keeping her alive mm. because it's so specific about who she is. And, of course, there is footage of her and all the rest of it. And then he said, when he saw it again three months later, that what the show made him think about partly was how much he hadn't thought about her. Mm. In the, how death does indeed create an absence of someone. That's what it's about at some level. Yeah. They have gone. And that going thing is that, but I haven't, she hasn't quite gone for me because no, she is in my yeah. life every night. So it was actually when he said that, I thought, oh, blimey, if, if I wasn't doing this show every night, I might have a greater sense of my mum's absence than yeah. I do. So to answer your question kind of positively, yes, it's complicated and difficult, and particularly towards the end of the show, where the show gets, I guess, more moving and mm. more, you know, emotional about, them I find that always quite difficult but I think the some of the show in a way is dealing with exactly that problem because it she is there and yeah. so therefore I don't wish to be ghoulish about it but there is a real sense I think that all oh, right so this is a way of keeping her alive hopefully not in a Frankensteinian way no but definitely I can I can totally understand the because that's a big thing with grief is that people stop talking about them yeah people stop asking you about them and they do you know, I find it, I st- and this is something, obviously, I'm about to hit 20 years, so I struggle to remember what he sounded like yes. and stuff like that. So yes. I think... Exactly that, those details yeah. is what I mean. I think when my brother said, 
oh, I realised tonight how I'd stopped thinking about yeah. her. It's that. It's not like, oh, my mum. It's more like, oh, yeah, she had this voice and she had oh, this God, way of, yeah. of looking at people. And this, this clothes yeah. and this joke. Yeah, exactly. The specifics, the yeah. details, that's what goes. You Definitely. know, But it doesn't quite go for me. I mean, also the show is, I mean, one of the things about the show, which I, I sort of feel is not said enough, is the show is very much about sex. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I think it's, you said that to me on Twitter because I said it's about death and I, I, it is about sex, I suppose. But I think it's about sex partly in relation to death. Yes, yeah. In that I think, you know, one of the things about the uh, the show is it tries to fight all the sort of, you know, undertow of terribleness that comes with death. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things I do is say, look what an extraordinary life force my mum was. Yeah. And that was channeled to a large extent in her very flagrant kind of, you know, lack of taboo about Your mum was like, I mean, the stories you tell, I mean, obviously go and see the show. I say this about both my parents, you know, my dad made LSD in his laboratory when, yeah. he, when he was young. Uh, neither of them were hippies at all. Yeah. They were sort of slightly, in, very individual and idiosyncratic, North London Jews, but not in a kind of bohemian or upper middle class yeah, way. Yeah. Both of them had lots of bad stuff in their early life. My mum was a Holocaust refugee, mm. which is really key as well with the death thing, I think. Yeah, I think because definitely. my mum had come from a place where she very, very nearly didn't have a life. Mm. That was partly why I think she was impelled to live a very sort of extreme life. Yeah. And actually says at one point in, in the Badil and Skinner Unplanned episode that she's in, she sort of admits, without giving away too much about the story of the show, she sort of admits at one point that one of her children, i.e. me or my brothers, may not be the biological son of their father. She admits that on television. It yeah. seems like a joke, but if you know the backstory, you think, is that a joke? That it may, may yeah, not be a joke. Yeah. But then she says, when I accuse her comically and ironically, and I question myself in the show for doing this, of being a bit of a slag for saying <laughs> that, she says, no, it suggests I had a good life. Yeah. And I think that was partly... My mum was thinking I have to live life to the full yeah. because I nearly didn't have a life at some level. Uh, but I think she... I, th- I think there's a thing with that hippie thing, which is... We sort of imagine with the 1960s that people were having this amazing time, whatever. Loads of people weren't. They were yeah. getting, Most people, like my parents, just didn't really know how to access it and kind of got it wrong. <laughs> so my yeah. parents, they're not Susan Sontag and Gloria Steinem. Mm. They don't have access to that kind of life. They're just living in Wilsdon Green. <laughs> and so my mum has some sense of it, yeah. some sense of how she should fulfil herself sexually unlike her parents did. Mm. You know, she in fact talks in the show another bit about her, how her mum never mentioned sex and wouldn't have had sex as far as she knew. Yeah. So she wanted to be different from that, but she didn't quite have know how to at some level. So that's why she ended up having a very flagrant affair with a golfing memorabilia salesman. <laughs> Who is in- incredible. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well, part of the show... I can see you're talking very much from a son's point of view, mm. obviously. Obviously, as when we talk about our parents, it's, it's very difficult to not. And it was funny because that bit where, you know, she sort of makes a joke that one of you isn't related to your dad. Yeah. <laughs> Initially, I saw your point of view. I was like, oh, my God. And then I was like, the way she handled herself, I was mm. like, actually, fair play to her. Yeah, like, you, know. so, you do start to swing round to yeah. her point of view and go, she's just living her life yeah, as no, a totally. woman I mean, actually, Sarah time. Pascoe, if I can mention another... Podcast. You totally can. Uh, on the guilty feminist, yeah. Sarah Pascoe. I did the guilty feminist the other day, and Sarah Pascoe brought up that bit, and yeah. said that's the bit that she thought, "What a brilliant woman!" Yeah. And I want people to think that. I want people to think, "God, you know, this is someone not living in her own way, in her own little, yeah. as I say, suburban way, not living life by the rules." Yeah, definitely. Uh, and picking up bits and pieces of a whole philosophy of how women should be and of how people should be that is different from the war and different yeah. from the sort of repression and, and, and doing it and not really and she's not an intellectual my mum yeah. at all but she's she's living it she's trying her best to live it and it's kind of admirable and courageous at some level after watching it i started thinking 
when it's incredible that she had this, you know, extremely obvious affair. But then I was like, she was probably living in a time where what else could you couldn't you didn't leave your husband? That's not what you did. Mm. You, you know, you're living in Wilson Green with three kids. Yeah. You don't. Well, she didn't have the not, money to do that. Yeah, that's not. She what also, you did. by the way, I mean, he, she, he didn't want to. Yeah. David W, who is the golf <laughs> yes, man, he, yeah. he didn't want her to leave. I yeah. mean. It suited I him. mean, it's a very complicated story. It's very complicated. Involved the backstory. I mean, just for anyone who <laughs> we haven't explained, but my mum was quite an important figure in the golfing memorabilia world. But the reason she was that uh, really was that she was having an affair and was deeply in love in a kind of mad, infatuated way with a golfing memorabilia salesman, yeah. and that led to her her turning her life and indeed our life uh, over to golf in a massive yeah. way. And I don't think she ever had the opportunity to to leave my dad and be with him the golfing memorabilia salesman but also for my mum it was just weird it was my mum was a woman of extremes yeah. so once she had this affair with the golfing memorabilia salesman she had to become like the biggest golfing memorabilia person yeah. in the world which by the way I've always thought must have really pissed him off oh my god she <laughs> named her shop the same yeah, the as sa- him I, I was thinking he must have been furious no, yeah, I, I think he was furious well, you know what I mean this is a whole other story he yeah. was furious yeah. even though they kept the affair going there were lots of times when he was furious with her right, yeah. uh, and if <laughs> for anyone who has seen my show when I must just say this. I mean, this yeah. won't mean anything I've seen the show. But uh, there was a bit where they had a massive falling out over some yeah. golfing memorabilia sales that she sold some stuff on his behalf, which was a bit dodgy, blah, blah, blah. She then got thrown out of something called the Golfing, the Golf Collectors Society of Great yeah, Britain. And that big. was that turned out, I didn't know this, but to have been masterminded by him, he got her chucked out. He said we should chuck her out. Yeah. So then she wrote a lot of letters to various golf clubs saying, you know, you should chuck this bloke. His name is David White. doesn't matter to hear it because he's yeah. on my show every night. You should chuck him out. Anyway, his sister came to the show, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And the, the, her daughter, the niece, told me that he, she has been in touch with him. She's told him all about the show. Yeah. And one of the things he said was, because my mum wrote these letters to... I'm sure you're going to cut this bit, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> my mum wrote these letters to various golf clubs saying, you should chuck this man out of your mm. golf club. He's done terrible things. She wrote them under the name William Wallace, <laughs> which I've always thought was hilarious. But he said to, the, to, the, to his niece when she told him this, oh... I had no idea that it was Sarah Badil who wrote those William oh Wallace letters. God. I've always wanted. I thought, who else could it have been? <laughs> who else had the motive to chuck you out to what you chucked out of Ferris Golf Club? He didn't. He didn't. Put two and two together. No. He has always thought, who is, who is this William Wallace person? Who, wow. I know. So one of the good things about the show is I get an ongoing conversation going on about my strange background and I find out more things about it. I think it's interesting, I've had that doing this podcast, that if you are be, if you are the child willing to carry on talking about it, mm. you learn a lot of oh, stuff. Yes. I sort of, I wonder if this is being a comedian or being a writer, you sort of revel in the, the details that suddenly come flooding because oh, you God. are not willing to drop the conversation. Yes. Well, no, that's one of the key things, isn't it? I mean, I haven't, if you don't show about your dad then no not yet not just me like me too I just talk about him every week but yeah but yeah. I'm interested in that because I mean that is one of the most key things obviously is the impetus is for me to talk about it and yeah. you know we talked earlier I think before we started recording you said oh if there's anything you don't want to talk about blah, blah, you know, we can cut it out I don't have that ability I, yeah, I mean, literally very so open <laughs> yeah so pe- I mean people have said to me many times oh your show's so brave and I, I say to them instantly, because, again, I don't have the ability. Even there, I can't censor myself, because some yeah. would say, well, just accept that, David. That's nice. I say, no, <laughs> it isn't really, because it would be brave if I found it difficult to talk about. Yeah, what I find difficult yeah. is not talking about it. Yeah. So is repressing this stuff. I need all aids to talk about whatever, stuff like this. And so, like but there are people aren't like that. Yeah. And there is a small part, part of me, and I'm sure there is of you, 
that even when really bad things happen, a small part of you, and people talk about this as being slightly cold sometimes, I think someone even in war or something referred to it as the ice sliver in the heart, does think material about oh, it, yeah. you know, immediately. Oh my God, of course. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is our job. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is that. I mean, to be fair to us, yeah. I don't think it's just mercenary. No, I have no. A much, I, I think a way of you know, being and, and understanding and trying to get on with your own life and, and, and gaining insight, whatever, is to transfer raw emotion and raw experience, often very difficult, into story. Mm. And, and it isn't story, actually. It's just raw emotion. When I'm seeing my mum dying or when I'm seeing my mum, you know, fl- when I'm a kid flagrantly behaving really ridiculously with this guy, that isn't really story. But my, my skill mm. is as a storyteller. And so therefore, by transforming it into, into a story, I am making something of that. And I think that is a good thing, even if it might feel at oh, times yeah. that it comes from this ability to sort of, you know, make stuff into material. And do you have, I have this, if like there was an unsatisfying narrative yeah. that my father dies. Right. <laughs> so yes. I'm trying to make this narrative. Yes. I think that's partly what comes from doing the podcast. Well, I'm trying to make this narrative somehow fit of like, well, her father died, but look what she turned it into. Yes, like yes. Because the pain was so obviously huge and awful and sad and bleak that I always have this, well, something has to fucking come out of yes. it. So I, I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's really true. I think that... Yeah, I mean, even if it's like <laughs> you, know, you do a show and you're fucked off about all sorts of things to do with the show because it's a grind, it's a 10-week run in the rest end, Monday nights it's half full, yeah. you know. So, you know, part of you is, is always in that sort of, sort oh, of yeah. slightly, you know, you do an Edinburgh show and maybe you don't win the Perry or whatever. You know, there's, yeah. so there's all that going on. But at the same time, if you make something of it, yes, you have made something yeah. out of something that is bleak. And, it's, yeah, that's a very good point about the unfinished narrative. I mean, I, I wonder what would have happened with me had my mum died in a long-form way, you know, yeah. had cancer, whether I would be doing this show, how I would... I mean, I have thought about doing this show, by the way, when she was alive, as oh, a matter right. of interest. Okay. I mean, I think the death absolutely made it... It's going to sound awful, but I think the death was key to making it the show it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely needed her to die in order to... Like, that was the absolute cherry on the cake how are you gonna for end the it? show. Yeah, exactly. You know? But I, um, I do think that... What actually happened was I'd been doing a show. I'd sort of found this way of doing stand-up, having not done stand-up for ages, yeah. of like, oh, I want to do this long-form storytelling with sort of documentary evidence and film and uh, slides, and that's what I do. So I always use a screen now. And I had done a show about fame, uh, called Fame Not the Musical, which was which is when I started doing that. And then after that finished, before my mum died, I thought, what can I do another show about like this? Mm. And I immediately thought, my parents, because they are extraordinary. And that's where I have a bank of stories, because it's really storytelling. So I thought about it, and I thought, oh, well, can I do it while she's still alive? And yes, probably, because at some level she would love it. And I was going to go and talk to her about it, whatever. And then, as I say, she died very suddenly. And that was, to some extent, the key, thinking, well, I should definitely do it now. We talk about this a lot on the podcast as well, because obviously mine was long but still shocking. And I've had people come on who literally, yeah, get the phone call and somebody, you know, they don't even they don't even get into the room. Right. Somebody's just dropped it. And I guess do you think that the shock was again is partly where the show comes out of of just mm. just still trying to get your head around what happened. Well the shock I don't know about with the show. I know the shock was really something. Yeah. I mean that was partly to do with being that was partly to do with being in the room, I think. I don't know what the shock would have been like if I had just got the phone call. It would would have been shocking. But I know, and I know this sounds possibly extreme, but it did feel like that, that I was sort of in post-traumatic stress disorder for a while after my mum died. I I literally, for about two months, Mm. every five seconds, I felt like it, would see 
her dying, yeah, yeah. you know. And I didn't. I, I went back into therapy, having not been in therapy. Mm. I was in therapy in my thirties. Um, I was, I think, not great with my family and my kids at the time. I, you know, there was all sorts of things that I felt like, oh my god, these images. And then they started to go. Maybe as I started to do the show, maybe yeah. I hadn't even thought about that before, but maybe the show at some level, some very very basic level, was a way of okay, these images are just bad. They really are. Yeah. They're really damaging and they're really traumatic. And I, I hadn't really had it before with images, like, you know, that feel like, oh, this must be what it's like if something, you see something awful and yeah. it just keeps coming back. And then, the, yeah, maybe the show did really help to transform that. To get the positive images back. Yeah, to get the positive images back, exactly. Because alive and, yeah. and well, yeah. Yeah, to, to balance the, the positive images, to use them as counterbalance for yeah. this un, un, incredibly difficult image of her on the deathbed. And it's so common everyone I speak to says oh you know maybe this is dramatic but I think it that is grief mm. that and I think it's really common with within I mean even with I guess if you have a very long drawn out terminal illness you know maybe you you process it but I definitely had for years afterwards I could only remember him sick right and I found really it, yeah I found it so hard and when he was sick he obviously had um a particular set of clothes that were like you know I'm sick clothes so it was right. this jumper and this jogging bottoms oh my god I can see right. it now yeah, yeah and um he had pancreatic cancer, but um, they didn't discover it until it spread to liver. So right, he was right, yellow. Right. So I have an extremely vivid memory of a very yellow man in this yeah. jump in this job. And like, yeah. and again, he was very healthy. He ran marathons. He was training for an yeah. Ironman. Like, yeah. that's not the, the yeah. And again, big so how old character. Is he? Forty-four. Yeah. Well, so obviously that's considerably younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a bit disturbing. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that we haven't talked about. I mean, you know, your dad died when he was very young. When you were very young. I mean, I, you know. Uh, my mum died. She was young, I guess, for now. She's 75. Yeah. Um, and no one expected her to die. Yeah, yeah. And and we had this other thing, which is that my dad, by then, was in the throes of dementia. He's about six years older than her. Wow. So everyone had this narrative of, well, he's going to die yeah, first. Yeah. You know, and then, and then we were all hoping, which is another guilt thing, that when my dad goes, uh, then maybe my mum who was still healthy enough can, you know, go on a cruise or we'll yeah. pay for her to do that and all that kind of stuff. And of course now I feel terrible that we didn't do stuff like that for her beforehand. But of yeah. course you don't think about it. You don't, like especially if someone is very ill with dementia. I mean, that, yeah. that's, a, that's a huge, overwhelming... Oh, it is a very, it's very overwhelming, yeah. you know, and it was also it's also stuff... You know, it's partly why I do a lot of stuff about, you know, dementia. I'm doing, to be honest, I'm slightly worried about the show from that point of view because the show gets branded very heftily as being about dementia. And, of course, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it is, but that's the supporting role. It's an aspect of it. Yeah, the, the supporting role is dementia. The show is re and it's more about my mum than my mm. dad. And it's really about a much larger idea of memory, about how you remember people and, mm. you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it became something that I was really learning about and really didn't understand properly. And I think we didn't understand in terms of how much stress it was causing my mum and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, but all I was going to say was mm. is that, you know, you, the nature of your grief, and indeed, uh, if I could talk about Morwenna, who's my wife. Mm. Morwenna's dad died when she was six. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it's very interesting, you know, how grief is with death that feels, you know, inappropriate, for want of a better word, yeah. too young, very shocking, shouldn't happen in the narrative. My mum's death was not like that in those terms. I'm, you know, mm. I was in my 50s, she was 75. It's not, we, in, it's we, not out of the natural order of things. We talk about it a lot, again, it, that this you you can't compare. Like you said, it's it's still shocking, and especially yeah. I think when someone has seemed well, and it's yeah. and like, to yeah. have something that seems like, oh, it's a chest infection, it's a cold, it's not, a, we don't need to, I don't need to get my anxiety levels up about that, yes. you know. And I also can, there's another issue, which is my children. Yeah. You know, and actually, I mean, this is a fun, Another whole thing, but I, I 
didn't actually get on that well with my mum when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And, te- and teenager, very much not. You know, she was an exasperating woman. She may have been extraordinary and amazing, but honestly... And as she, a teenage as she, as I'm boy sure you know, with a sexual mother, yeah, exactly. I'd imagine that's actually quite know, tough. Yeah, and she was very jealous of girlfriends that I had. Yeah. And, you know, she was... Cause that sexual thing again and all sorts of issues I had with her and that sort of went away to a large extent I mean just with that getting older and understanding but also when I had children because she was actually a really brilliant grandmother you know and my mum was always to some extent searching for different identities so she had this identity of sort of you know mad sex champion (laughs) when she was sort of 30 and 40 but I think towards the end of her life although she never completely relinquished that one as you know (laughs) but part of her identity was to become this brilliant grandma and she was obsessed with all of our kids and blah 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 so then you have this other thing which is for them it is incredibly shocking in that way they're 10 and 12 and they just assume this person is kind of around as a as a constant and then they're not yeah. you know and that is incredibly weird and difficult for them as well and then you're really upset but you have to somehow process it to make it okay for them how do you do it because i well i mean one of the worst moments yeah. i mean again not a moment i make comedy of yeah. they were in the room uh, at the hospital that just a kind of room had been set up for my kids and my brother's kids and our partners and we were sort of in and out of the, the emergency room. Mm. And then finally, you know, we get the message, she's not, she's going. So we go in there, it's hideous. Then we came out, her body was actually moved to the room next to where my kids were. Oh, and then we have to go in there and tell, I mean, I mean, you know, I can't, I mean, honestly, Carrie, I've had some bad times in my life, yeah. but I cannot compare to that weekend because that happened. So that's a whole day of that, kids, blah, blah, blah. The next day, because my dad is at home the whole time, right, because we can't take him. Because, you know, A, he's very infirm, but B, he's got dementia. He won't understand what's going on. It'll be incredibly upsetting for him and confusing. So he's at home. So the next day, we managed to get some care for him overnight. But the next day, me and my brother go and spend the whole day with my dad telling him that my mum's died. We tell him. He reacts incredibly like I've never really seen him before because my dad is a very invulnerable man. and, And it's very macho and wants to be strong. When we first told him, he was incredibly upset and then... 15 minutes later, we had to tell him again. And then the whole oh day, my <laughs> retelling my dad, retelling my dad uh, this appalling story. That makes me and, want to cry now. I know, it's an un. I mean, I look back and I think, okay, this is insupportable <laughs> emotionally. Did you, you just know. sort of, I mean, no wonder you were in shock because you're having to relive such a. Tr- yeah. Like. No, it's unbelievable. I mean, you, it was unbelievable. I was there with my older brother, thank Christ. Uh, did the pair of you just end up? I, mean, I can imagine you just end up laughing because, like, what we, else can you do? Like, or is it just you just stayed in that completely? Like, this is awful. I think there was some laughter. I mean, there was lots of. Yeah. <laughs> there, was lots of there were some. I mean. I don't know if I can say this. You'll know that there is a, a very extreme moment in the show involving something that my dad yes. said to a mourner yeah. uh, involving the word rape. Yeah. And uh, so it's complicated to say it because you have to have the whole context yeah. to make it okay. But I'm going to tell you another story anyway, okay. which is the day after my mum died. That if you've got a vulnerable person at home and someone, their primary carer dies yeah. or is suddenly absent, the council will send someone round. So they sent round. I had to go and pick them up from Harrow and Wheelstone Station this woman she's like 22 and she comes around and I said my dad is he's got this thing called Pick's disease it's a very obscene very kind of socially aggressive in a way anyway uninhibited type of dementia she says no I'm fine with that so she's staying the night right is the idea so she comes in and says hello to my dad and she's smiling and my dad says um keep smiling don't worry I'm not going to rape you and she carries on smiling, and I say, I wouldn't smile like that because I think that might be creating the wrong impression in him. Yeah. And she just keeps smiling and says, That's, this is what I've been trained to do. And I did think at the time, 
I am in the deepest, deepest circle of hell here. Oh Just the combination. God. I mean, it's kind of comic and absurd, but it's so extreme, <laughs> you know, these experiences. <gasps> oh, my God. I mean, I can't. That is so much, David. I know, I know. It is extraordinary. It is... I don't. Know. I, I. I don't. This is all stuff that's not in the show. I mean, because I. I can't tell two stories about my yeah. dad. Uh, you know, kind of using rape as if it's banter. I can't. I can't tell two stories about that. I that's tell the very, other one. It's with, very difficult to get round yeah, that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. Although to... one of the great, one of the good things about the show is certainly people have seen it. I mean, the great worry about that is people who haven't seen it and want to get outraged, which is something I talk about in the show. People who want to get outraged will hear that there's stuff about yeah. that in the show and get outraged without seeing it. When you see it, you understand I am not making comedy out no, of rape it's at not. all. It's dealing with someone who says inappropriate yeah. things because yes, they're exactly. very ill. Yes, and it, that's what it's about. How do you, how do you deal with that except yeah. by laughing at it at yeah. some level or, or finding the comedy in it, however bleak the comedy is. Yeah. You know, that's that. My point is that you have to be able to laugh at that because it's your only resource uh, in the, in the face your, of it just being such horror. When you know? it's your parents. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. so... Like you said, it's such a complicated. Yes, your dad. Yeah, like yeah, you know, exactly. and I think especially having you know the childhood that you had with your mum, like you said, extreme sexualized mm. language and mm. it being very very open. Like yeah. the, you're already coming from like yeah. a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah, no, exactly. No, it is. I mean, one thing people have said. Someone said this the other day. Who was it? Now Dominic Holland oh, yeah. <laughs> on Twitter I was having a conversation with someone else about my show and started saying, well, given uh, the childhood that he clearly had, it's amazing that Badil, at Badil, is as normal, he put it in inverted commas, as he is, not functional at all. It's extraordinary. But I did think, well, I suppose if you come from what I imagine is Dominic Holland's background, yeah. it does feel like bloody hell. How on, <laughs> earth, how on earth are you not just a gibbering mad yeah. person? But, I mean, I did have an ex- I did have a very complicated Childhood and my parents are very complicated people, but uh, there was love there. Yeah, I don't you know, there was, was it love didn't there. Come across as uh, hard and no, un- it's not hard abnormal. in that way. It just came across as unusual. Yeah, yeah, and but not and that, that unusual. Well, well, it's boundary unboundary. Yeah, that's yeah. the issue. Is that stuff that now we would know to be bad parenting yeah. went on, but not in a kind of abusive way, yeah. just in a kind of unbounded. What I always think is. My parents came from a time before people knew about the word parenting. So they did not stop their lives for us like we do, like Mm. you will be doing with your baby. Like, you know, you will be changing your life and trying to rework and considering what you say around. My parents didn't do that. I mean, I tell a story about my mother masturbating. uh, And I'm not going to tell you the punchline of that particular story because it's an extraordinary moment in the show. But when you if you ever come to show and hear it, you'll know, well, that is not something that would be considered to be good parenting. Right. Uh, with a 12-year-old son next door. And that's the point. That's exactly it. She is not stopping her life and her sexual fulfillment for me or any of her children. And that's just the way things were back then. It was before everyone monitored who they were and what they were doing for their children. I think that's why as a woman watching it as well, there's times when you were like, well, you go, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know what? Why the fuck not should you? Like, he can just deal with it. But I can understand, especially having, you know, that you've got two brothers, Mm. to have three Boys, teenage mm. boy, that must have been extremely intense. How mm. do, so? You've got so Ivor is your older brother. Yeah. he's okay with the show. Yeah, Dan is okay too. Dan yeah. is a cab driver in New York, so he's only seen it once because he came over. He is he likes it too. He was most the more complicated one. He is also the one who was closest to my mum. Oh, he was wow. without doubt my mum's favourite, wow. and without doubt I think had the most complicated reaction to my mum's way of being and I think it would be fair to say that Dan has found it more difficult I don't want to 
speak for Dan, more difficult to sort of detach emotionally and to make sense of our childhood. Yeah. Dan is not a writer, you know, he's a cab driver. He's a very lovely bloke, but quite emotional. Tends to be quite react to things in quite a big kind of melodramatic way. And that being able to write and being able to make story has been a way of slightly detaching from the blast, the full furthest blast of what our childhood might have done. It's been more complicated for Dan, but he does like the show. I mean, it's an incredible show to make something so suit. I'm just getting my head around that you were able to to deal with it so quickly with art. Mm. I think is mm. incredible. Well, um, well, how do you feel? How do you think you'll feel when you finish the show? I don't know. I mean, and also one of the things about that is the ongoing nature of my life and the show being my life. So, for example, how will I feel if my father dies yeah. during yes, the goodness, during the run, which yeah. is not impossible? I mean, he's pretty physically healthy, actually. Yeah. I mean, he's eighty-two, but physically he's not too bad. It's obviously mentally he is bad. You know, I thought, would I carry on? Yeah. And I kind of think I probably would because I would have to change the show a bit, but the show is a celebration of both my parents. And if he dies, I would rewrite the show so that it was about the man who was, which to some extent it is anyway, because the dementia creates a thing whereby he's not quite there anyway. But I don't want to do it forever because I think it is a process that makes me think, well, this will come to a natural conclusion. I have just announced a tour this morning, (laughs) and so I'm going to be doing it into next year, and then I think I'll stop it. I think, I mean, there's talk of doing it this autumn in New York. Mm. But I, yeah, for my own sanity, I need to stop doing it at some point. Yeah, because it is very personal and it is very raw. And I mean, I found even doing this podcast, you know, I'm editing it, I'm talking about death all the time. There's times I'm like, bloody hell, like... Yeah, yeah. And and that that need, like you said, like your brother had done, to just forget for a bit, to allow yourself to... But how do you see, can I ask, Mm. your dad's death in relation to you being... A performer how does that is there a link there or is there not were you a performer before that I mean I I, I wasn't a performer I mean you know I did like Saturday drama club right. and stuff but I think I've had people on the show who were like uh, there was all this death so I became funny yeah that's not what happened no Definitely that sounds not. pretty glib as well that yeah sounds like it wouldn't be so straightforward as that yeah well, I like, do think with me yeah. there was all this madness to try and make sense of it yeah I think I became someone who was storytelling I think yeah. that, I think that's how I made sense of the madness to some extent I think that's very similar my dad was quite strange and mm. quite mad as well yeah <laughs> sure my mum would be fine with me saying my yeah, mum is much sure more normal and grounded I mean she's mad in her own way but in a much more sort of delightful cockney way um, but my dad again was a big character and I don't think I've talked about this actually that we suffered a lot from when he left when he left when he died there was a relief because right. he was such a big character yeah. that literally it was like everyone could breathe Yeah. and a bit like what you said what you thought would happen to your dad like when my dad died my mum suddenly you know, she went to university. She'd left school at 15. Like, she's like a lot of stuff she suddenly, it felt like she was able to do because this huge character who was very dominating. And I had a very complicated relationship with him as well, which is why I think I do this podcast. Yeah, we argued a lot and he yeah. was difficult and mad. And mm. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, but the complexity know. is really important. I yeah. think, you know, the truth, you know, these kind of truths are always complex. Yeah. And, you know, we live in a world where truth is being constantly degraded, either things that are not true or mm. people want to see very, very simple truths. The truth is never like that. It's always really complicated. That's why I loved the, the bit I really loved of the show was you show a clip from Bedeel and Road to Wembley, Bedeel and Skinner. Bedeel, Newman, no, Newman, Newman and Bedeel. Newman, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Right. <laughs> Your many careers. Yeah which I remember watching, and there's a clip of your dad saying, oh, you know, well done, son. Yeah, yeah. And, and you were absolutely superb, is yeah, what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, like, well, one of the point about that for people who haven't seen the show is, uh, I, I mean, it's the bit that people find most moving, but the key element of it is that the show, as I say, is about memory. It's about mm. how you remember people. And as far as my dad goes, I paint this picture mm. of this very, very sort of like sweary, kind of aggressive, uh, sort of, uh, you know, not brilliant in many ways dad yeah. because like the one time I put my head on his shoulder, he made fun of me, blah, blah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and uh, and then at the end of it, I say, well, maybe that's wrong. You know, maybe his dementia has given me dementia because here's, here he is being really nice. Mm. And isn't that extraordinary? And when I saw it, it made me cry because I'd forgotten he could be like that. Because I very much say in the show, this is true, this is all true, mm. it is true. And I'm not saying it's not true, but it is saying as well, it's true, but it's my memory. And maybe yeah. my memory isn't always right. And that's what touched me, is that my family spend a lot of time, when we talk about him, remembering slightly a caricatured version of like, mm. oh, you know, he was mad, or he was so weird, what a weirdo, and he did that. Oh my God, do you remember that other weird? And my, my brother is very much more negative about him than I am. And I always struggle with like going, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong, maybe he's right that mm. he was really awful but mm. I remember this so I love that juxtaposition of that person can be as awful as laughing at you for touching his shoulder and calling you gay yeah, <laughs> and you also gay, being yeah. proud of you and yeah. that isn't that what parenting is it's yeah. like you're just a person trying to do your best yeah, 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 yeah. I was like I think you have to sort of step back and go they're just people yeah. and however damaged you are because yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and also that I say they came from a different yeah different narrative I mean again that thing you've just said, which expands it a bit further. Yes, I put my head on my dad's shoulder, and basically he said or he said something which implied I was gay yeah. for putting my head on his shoulder. I think that you see, my dad would not have stopped to think that's a joke I shouldn't make. Not just because it's obviously politically incorrect, which wouldn't have been around at the time, but more importantly because that will be crushingly humiliating for yeah, my son, who's yeah. done a vulnerable thing. My dad wouldn't have thought about that because he. He was a bloke who made jokes. And yeah. that's my point, is these people didn't come from a narrative where they would suppress who they were or alter who they were in order not to damage their children. Yeah. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a very, as I'm sure you know about me by now without knowing me deeply, is I am a person who hardly ever changes who I am. <laughs> I really don't. I like, I'm obsessed with authenticity. And in almost any situation, I am trying all the time. Not trying, I just am being who I am. I do not have the ability to change who I am for anyone except my children. Mm. I, I do actually think twice before I would, you know, I've spent, unbelievably for me, and you could tell I'm quite a sweary person, I have managed to bring up my children without, with hardly ever swearing in wow. front of them. I know, I'd swear a bit in front of them now. But <laughs> honestly, because Morwenna didn't really like the idea uh. of it, and I thought, actually, you know what, it sort of would be kind of horrible for my three-year-old to be saying fuck. Yep. So I'm not going to do that. And that is really a shift who I am psychically yeah. now my dad really didn't do that yeah. my dad was you know using the word cunt in front of me when I was a toddler you know because not because he was trying to get me to say it just because he wouldn't have stopped being himself for me yeah that's what again why I really love the show that after people die it's important not to pedestal them mm. and and oh, what's the word like make, make them angels that's yeah, what yeah. I find as well yeah. is like well, that's what I say in the show yeah. the you know despite what we might like to think they're not angels the dead no they're not they're yeah. not and, it, and I think you're right it, it hugely does a disservice to who they were as people doing this show how do you feel about your own death <laughs> I mean, it must be so. Well, I'm never very keen on the idea of my own death. <laughs> I've never found a way around being thinking positively about really? it. Really, even therapy has yeah, No, no. You know what? I don't think there is a way yeah. of thinking positively. I mean, if you're if you're like me, there might be people who, or certainly religious people, I suppose. I guess I can only ask the question in terms of 
of the ongoing narrative because mm. I'm, I'm never going to be happy about the idea of internal oblivion uh, and pain on the way there. But what I people do ask me sometimes is how would you feel if your kids did a show oh, yeah, uh, sort yeah. of like this? And I would I say, first of all, absolutely, that'd be totally fine because I absolutely don't want or wouldn't want. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't really care because I'd be dead, but yeah. I, w- I wouldn't want them to do an idealised version of me. But I do also say in terms of what I've been saying throughout this podcast, I think they'd find it difficult because Mm. although I'm sure there are some things I've done wrong and some things that are laughable about the way I've parented them, in the whole, it's been a fairly standard, good parenting, you know, naughty's way of bringing up children. And they are, I would say, as far as I can make out, fairly well balanced as a result. And that would make it quite hard to do the kind of show that I've been doing about my parents have for them. Have you taken away their comedy? I have a bit. Well, <laughs> I do talk, I do say in the show at one point, yeah. don't I? I say in the show I worry about it with my parenting yeah. because I do think all this damage has made me a comedian and with my kids I try not to do that so they might not be funny. I mean, they are funny. Both of them are really funny kids, but I don't think they'll be funny quite in the same way. And my mum always says, I'm so busy trying not to fuck you up the way my mum did, I just fucked you up a different way. That hadn't right. even occurred to me. Yeah. She was like, the shit you threw back at me, had I'd never even thought that was going to be a problem. Yes. <laughs> she yes. was like, that was not on my list because yeah. I was so busy over here going, well, I'm not going to do what my mum did. Here's yeah. all the well, that's very, they fuck you up your mum and dad, yeah. isn't it? They may not be true, but they add extra, you yeah. know, and that's true. And I'm sure the way that our generation, I mean, I'm older than you, obviously, but... Uh, you know, more modern parents are bringing up their children will have its fallback, its oh, blowback yeah. sure. in some way or another. But I, I am pretty, I mean, having had a pretty extreme, yeah. you know, not model parenting childhood, I am pretty sure that the way I'm bringing my kids up it's is better. better. Yeah. <laughs> healthier. Uh, healthier and yeah. less likely for them to end up fucked up, even though my show is a big celebration of my yeah. fucked up childhood. Yeah. It still was a fucked up childhood. I think there's no doubt it was a fucked up childhood. Yeah. yeah. Are you more aware of it because of the show? My own death. Yeah. No, I'm just more aware of my own death because I'm getting older. I mean, the death of your parents... Uh, or you know, growing older and uh, ageing of your parents, in my dad's case, absolutely does very much bring into focus your own mortality. Yeah, I mean, probably there is something in that. But, I mean, I, I am so obsessed with authenticity. I'm so, you know, one reason why I'm, I call myself a fundamentalist atheist, is I am 100 I don't believe that God doesn't exist. I know that God doesn't exist. Like, I, I know that this table is made of wood. Uh, which someone will say it isn't, It's only, that's only an idea, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so therefore, the need to be authentic and be true about that does create in me a very straightforward idea of death as being, well, that's it, that's the end, and, mm. and that's that. And so therefore, I find that the talking about mortality, although it is good in a way for the authenticity, I can't get much out of it because I can't, you know, there's I, about the only thing I guess I could get out of it is some hope that the narrative of my own life would feel that it was closed off by yeah. whatever the death is. But I, even that, I don't really believe that. I suppose my hope, I don't wish to be bleak at the end of, <laughs> no, this, no, of this grief cast, <laughs> but I think that even my faith in story isn't really, if I look into my heart, a way of combating my own sense of how bleak and shit it is that you die. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I just think it's just a way of dealing with it. I don't, yeah. you, that's the thing about death. You can't do anything. No, no. It's your powers. No, absolutely, of course. So of I course. think, as artists or writers or storytellers, it's just a way of going, well, here's a set of symbols and words that make this seem sense to me. Yes. And someone yes. else will draw a picture and someone else will not talk about it. But it's just... Yes. A no, no, that's absolutely yeah. true. I think I think while you're alive, yeah. death is a sort of brilliant thing yeah. in, as an artist. And I do sometimes think of this. I do sometimes think, and obviously I don't imply any kind of intelligent design here, but I do think when people talk about 
you know, oh, you know, death is awful and disease is awful and whatever, and so therefore there's no God. I think actually that isn't true because no. I think that life only really has meaning because of these yeah, things. Definitely. And if we all just lived, I mean, in a way, what I was talking about right at the start about the over the, the use of the word wonderful, mm. if all we lived were immortal lives where nothing bad happened, there'd be no art. That's a very good place to end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's good. David, thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. It's been brilliant. You can follow David on Twitter at Bedeal and you can see his show, My Family Not the Sitcom, at the Playhouse Theatre till the 3rd of June and then it is touring the UK in 2018. All details are on davidbedeal.com. Thank you for listening to Griefcast. I've been Cariad Lloyd. You can find me on Twitter at Lady Cariad or you can tweet at the Griefcast or email me with griefcast at gmail.com. Music is provided by the Glue Ensemble and you can find them at thegluensemble.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.